Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves, and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Today is no exception. I'll let Elise fill you in on her extraordinary guest. All right, over to Elise. Hi, I'm Elise Lunen, co-host with Gwyneth of the Goop Podcast. In today's special episode, an efforts to spread awareness and helpful information on how we can best manage during the coronavirus pandemic, I'm being joined by Dr. Judd Brewer. And we're doing this a little bit differently. We don't edit the podcast that much, but we're going from... Uh, live to tape, essentially. So the format's a little bit different. Um, Before we get to it, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Judd. Judd Brewer is an MD, PhD, and an internationally known psychiatrist and neuroscientist who has developed app-based mindfulness training tools for behavior change, such as smoking, overeating, and anxiety. We're going to talk primarily about anxiety today. No one is asking you to give up your vapes at this moment of extreme (laughs) panic. He is the Director of Research and Innovation at Brown University's Mindfulness Center and an Associate Professor of Psychiatry at the medical school there. He is the author of The Craving Mind, From Cigarettes to Smartphones to Love, Why We Get Hooked and How We Can Break Bad Habits. This is not his first rodeo on the Goop podcast. If you like what you hear, you can go and find our first episode where we do talk about cigarettes and all of those things. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at Judd Brewer or at you can find him at drjud.com. So today we're going to talk about all the ways we can minimize anxiety, panic, and fear, even when the world is telling us to do the opposite. So Judd, thanks for hopping on the phone with me. Let's get to it. Oh la la, um, unprecedented times. Yeah. So take us back to, because I'm sure all of us, whether we're on the more anxiety-prone end of the spectrum or the less anxiety-prone, have had moments of real panic, whether it's seeing empty grocery store shelves. Like, it's a, it's a battle, right, between the, lo- the rational, logical mind and then our own need to survive or desire to survive. So can you take us through what's, what's happening yeah. And that the survival is a good place to start because fear is actually helpful. You know, we learn a lot from fear. Um, and actually, there's a very simple uh, fear-based learning mechanism where if something scary happens, you know, we learn to avoid that the, in the future, right? So if you, you know, our ancient ancestors, you know, when they were um, out on the savannah, if they see the saber-toothed tiger, they, they ran away and they got this, their brain uh, got this reward that said, you know, okay, you get to survive for tomorrow. So there's this reward-based learning piece to that. So fear is actually really, really helpful. 
But later on, I don't know, about a million years or so ago, our, um, or, or more recently even, our brains evolved this new layer on top of that survival brain called the neocortex. And there's a part of that brain called the prefrontal cortex in particular that's involved in thinking and planning. Now, for our prefrontal cortex to work, you know, if we're going to the grocery store and we plan to buy groceries, it needs accurate and updated information. And to plan, we need to minimize uncertainty. So with the coronavirus, it's a, it's a perfect example of where we actually have a lot of uncertainty. We don't know, you know, I won't go through all the litany of things that we don't know, but there are a lot of things that we don't know about it. And we also don't know how people are reacting to it. So there's an added layer of uncertainty. If you add fear, which is a good survival thing, together with uncertainty, those lead to anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. Because our brain starts spinning out in what if, what if, what if, what if? And that anxiety actually uh, can lead to panic when we combine it with social contagion. So social contagion, think of it as, you know, emotion passed from one person to another. Think of it as, um, I don't know, emotional infection. It's like somebody sneezing on your brain where, you know, if you're on the phone with somebody and they're anxious, then you might get anxious. If you're on social media and you see people panicking, um, then you might panic. Uh, so that, that's all there where, you know, we got fear plus uncertainty equals anxiety. Anxiety plus social um, contagion can lead to panic. And when we panic, and even with anxiety, but especially when we panic, our prefrontal cortex goes offline, so we can't plan. You know, mm -hmm. so so let's say as you brought up earlier, you go to the grocery store, you've got this list of things to get, and you know you're like, okay, this is what I need, and then you see people, you know, with their grocery cart stacked high with toilet paper, and then even though you probably don't need toilet paper for the next month or whatever, suddenly our survival brain goes back, goes in and says, oh, scarcity, I need to, I need to get my six month supply of toilet paper. And then every, there's a run on toilet paper. You know, toilet paper is not the, not the issue here. It's just how, how our brains are, you know, they go back into survival mode and they just don't think. And then they just follow the herd. It's so, so that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, no, I mean, if I weren't trying to, you know, be wise and follow social distancing and, and be protective of all the vulnerable populations and my own family, et cetera, I would just post up at the grocery store and watch. Um, the market closest to my house has been pretty well stocked, except for the things that people will probably never eat, ultimately. Um, and it's just wild, like watching, you know, the dudes who clearly have never cooked in their life, just like wandering around like zombies. Like one guy had like 30 steaks. And I was like, what? <laughs> Do you have a chest freezer like what's happening here and then you know another woman who's more my speed with like 40 bottles of wine I'm like that's that makes sense to me um but if I you know it's hard to have levity when you're also sort of like you kind of want to make everyone stop and then at the same time you're you're like oh like exactly what you said oh I'm clearly not prepared um and meanwhile, you know, not that that's the point of this podcast. I think we all need to be reminded, one, like running out of toilet paper, not the end of the world. And two, we're not going to starve. Their vast majority of us will not experience food, sh food shortage, but also like we can get by on far fewer calories, right? And as long as we have access to water. But it's, a, it's not the time of rational thinking. 
Yeah. And even if we, so let's say that you, I love, I could just imagine you at the grocery store, just doing, you know, doing observational studies. Like, you know, this is a really interesting time to be watching uh, human behavior. I hope someone's like getting all the receipts from grocery stores around the country and just like examining what people are buying. I mean, my, that yeah. would be fascinating, but you could stand there and you could say, guys, do you really need that much toilet paper? But they're not going to listen. Because right. they're, you know, it's like they're, they're in fixed mindset where they're just in scarcity survival mode. And the more somebody pushes, the more they're just going to push back or say, oh, you're crazy. You, know, you need this much. Right. Exactly. Um, we all need bidets. Apparently, we need to take a, you know, page out of um, everywhere else in the world's book. So, okay. So let's, because this has happened to me as well. I'm not, I don't want to preach here. I, you know, I'm getting the texts as well that are then proven to be hoaxes about, you know, imminent mandatory quarantine. And, and then immediately I'm like, we don't have enough jasmine rice. So, um, and I get lashy with my husband who goes to the store and buys really, he's like, do we need glass plus? I'm like, no, we don't need glass plus right now. Um, but what, <laughs> what, how do we arrest this? And how do we, how do we remain wise and, calm um, and sort of calm ourselves down when we feel this extreme anxiety swelling in our chests? Yeah, it's a great question. And fortunately, there are some relatively simple things we can do. And I think that it's really helpful as a place to start is just to know that this is how our minds work. You know, if we try to force ourselves not to be anxious, we're, it's, that anxiety is just going to push back more. But if we can step back and understand, okay, this is how my brain works it's going into anxiety, fear, and panic mode. Oh, this is about uncertainty. That's one place that we can start. So one, we can look to trusted news sources, you know, like the, the CDC and the WHO and all of those places for the most accurate and update information as compared to, you know, trusting Reddit or whatever our other social media sites are. The other thing we can do when we're getting anxious is that we can, you know, we can just take ways or find ways to very simply pause. So for example, when I was in medical school, when somebody had a heart attack, the first thing we learned was to take our own pulse, which seems kind of counterintuitive because like, that's the dude that really needs help. But the point there was that if we're not rational, if we're not letting our thinking mind come online, we're actually going to do more damage than good. So that take your own pulse first uh, message is, hey, make sure you're calm when you go into a situation. And there are simple ways that we can do this. You know, my lab studies, mindfulness training, for example, where, you know, just taking a couple of very uh, simple deep breaths consciously can literally calm down our nervous system. And so, you know, that's a way just to kind of hit that pause button. Uh, sometimes when people are, you know, they're focusing on their breathing, they, that's a lot of times where people hold anxiety. So uh, there are other things that we can do, such as like just grounding our awareness in our feet, which sounds kind of strange, but uh, tell me how many times have you felt anxiety in your feet? Mm. Yeah. So we don't, we just don't feel, you know, our feet are not the anxiety regions of our bodies. It's really our chest, our shoulders, our jaw, our eyes, all those places. So we can actually ground ourselves literally in our feet. I had a guy, I was uh, leading a meditation group back when I was at Yale University. And there was a guy that would literally use this mantra for himself where he, whenever he was getting wound up, he would just say, feel your feet. And it would remind him, hey, you're getting a little wound up, ground yourself. And he literally felt more grounded that way. 
Mm-hmm. So whether it's taking a pause by taking a couple of deep breaths or grounding ourselves you know, in awareness of our feet or our hands, or even um, if people have access to the outdoors or even windows, a lot of my anxious patients find it really helpful to just go and look out a window um, and just look at a tree. There's something about nature that in itself is pretty calming. Mm-hmm. So take a few seconds. You know, It's not like this has to be an hour, but it could be literally 10 seconds, 30 seconds, just to help ground ourselves and kind of calm our nervous system. What that does is help our prefrontal cortex come back online. And we've even found this, you know, we did a study with anxious physicians (laughs) and boy, do physicians really, I mean, they're at the front lines right now. And can you imagine being a primary care physician who doesn't know what's going to walk in the door, but it's your job to treat that person. So anxious physicians, uh, a lot of burnout, all this stuff. So we actually just used a simple app-based mindfulness training program called Unwinding Anxiety, where we just, you know, gave them short practices every day where they could learn how those anxious habit loops were set up and they could use these simple mindfulness practices to unwind. We got a 57% reduction in clinically validated anxiety scores. And then we followed that up with a study of people with generalized anxiety disorder. So this is like the worst of the worst. With that study, that was a randomized control trial, we got a 63% reduction in anxiety. So I think these really simple practices can, can work pretty well. At least that's what our data are showing. Yeah. No. And I'm glad that you brought up the grounding of the feet because when people, t- I'm, I'm, I'm not a good breather. So when people tell me to breathe, it um, invokes more anxiety in me. And I just went to a workshop with John Amaral and he essentially was saying, yeah, some people get it from the breath. Some people get it from what you said, grounding into the body, feeling different parts of your body, even with your hands. Um, I love the idea of feet and then also movement. Like some people need to physically express it. Um, yeah, if there's a lot of energy in the body, let it go for a walk. Um, but also don't just walk mindlessly where the mind is spinning out of control at the same speed as our feet. We mm-hmm. might notice that we start walking faster and faster and faster the more our mind spins out. But it's really about grounding ourselves in feeling our body walking as we're walking. And then finding whatever pace is helpful. You know, maybe we walk a little more quickly because that's the energy level that we have right then. Mm-hmm. Maybe we play with walking a little more slowly. It's really about bringing awareness in as we're walking. So I'm glad you bring that forward. Or maybe just shake, you know, because that's what animals do, right? That's what uh, James Gordon, Dr. Gordon talks about. You know, you see animals who have escaped and then they sort of, they will literally stand there and just shake. Um, and so just getting it, getting it out and and recognizing maybe that the threat is over once you get once you get control of your thoughts <laughs> well that's where the breathing and the grounding exercises can be really helpful yeah and you know the uncertainty piece which i think is as you have wisely pointed out the thing that we're um there are so many uncertainties even down to how is this virus spreading um but or, sorry, go ahead. I'll just add something with uncertainty. So what I've been seeing a lot is people thinking about the future, right? Anxiety is about fear of the future, mm-hmm. right? And so their mind spins out into the future and they start thinking, okay, what's going to happen to me? Not, am I going to have my job in six months? Am I going to be destitute in a year? You know, is the world going to end? <laughs> Here's where we, we can take a playbook for my, my addicted patients who take it one day at a time, right? Mm. So if they're sober today, and they start thinking, am I going to be sober on a month? That's really tough to project out. But they're sober today and they say, let me just focus on today and tomorrow will be tomorrow. 
So we can actually, if we notice that our minds are spinning out, you know, month, two months down the road, we can rein it in, you know, and just say, hey, how about today? And even if today feels overwhelming, we can say, okay, how about this hour, right? How about this minute? What do I need right now, right? Any moment we can drop in and say, okay, am I hungry? Am I thirsty? Right? That gives mm -hmm. us more certainty because we know what our physiologic needs are right now. Mm. And that points to us that we can actually check our physiologic and our psychological needs right now. Like, what do I need right now? Okay, I need a hug for my partner. Okay, I need to pet my furry, you know, animal. We can take it one moment and that moment leads to the next moment. And then that helps us through the hour, which helps us through the day, which then helps us through tomorrow. I want to talk about people in the recovery community and and because I think I'm worried, I'm sure. This, this is a real empath's delight, this coronavirus, because I know we're all worried about everyone. Um, let's talk about the recovery community. But I, just to build on what you said, too, it's funny, like I – when I remember when I first started dating my husband and then and I knew we were about to get engaged and I think we were both incredibly anxious about it. And I was like, you know what? Like we're really happy and in love today. So we can just build on that. We can maybe assume we'll still be in love and happy tomorrow. And that was the only way I could calm myself down. I Because I literally exactly that I was spinning out into, are we going to survive? Like as a couple, are we going to get divorced? But I love that. Just like in this moment, I'm safe. And in this moment, like I'm here. Um, I think that's wise for all of us. So for people who are in recovery and maybe have been relying on meetings, um, I know there are virtual meetings happening or who, you know, really, really need to numb. And I know that that, you know, we're all addicts on some spectrum. What, how, what's your best advice for those people or for supporting those people who might be in our networks? Yeah, that's a really good and important question. I've, I've seen a lot in the recovery community around people popping up online support groups. And I think that's a great way to stay mentally connected while physically distancing, you know. So I, I, what I would suggest is people in recovery finding those support groups online. And I'm guessing a lot of those are popping up more and more. The nice thing about online is you, you don't need to be in a certain city to go there. And so there will probably be an even higher availability across time zones than in a geographically isolated location. Mm. So that's one thing I would suggest. The other thing I would suggest is, you know, really, th this is a, I don't want to say an opportunity, but this is kind of, it's, it's, it's necessary in addition um, to these support groups is to really kind of start to learn some of these grounding practices because they can be helpful for addiction recovery as well. So for example, you know, my, for decades now, my lab's been studying, you know, how mindfulness can help addictions. And we found that mindfulness training is a really good way to help people write out cravings. And so, for example, curiosity is a great tool that people with addictions can really utilize and it's free and you don't have to buy it at the grocery store. <laughs> you know, it's like if they have a craving or an urge and often these are triggered by anxiety because anxiety has a lot of overlap with, with craving itself, that restless driven quality to it. Both of them drive us, you know, to do something. So they can actually start to get curious about what that sensation feels like in their body and just to explore, you know, moment to moment, what does this feel like? And use this as an opportunity. It's kind of like a silver lining to this cloud. It's like, okay, I got to be my, with myself right now. I can't go to a meeting, you know, physically. 
can I just learn to be with myself and use it as an opportunity to start to really explore the, the makeup of cravings, you know, and, mm -hmm. and start to see, oh, these are just physical sensations that come and go as compared to some moral imperative that drives me to go to a meeting or something like that. Mm -hmm. Do you feel, I mean, I was having this conversation with my brother because we were just talking about um, wine inventory. And then I was like, oh, this, maybe this is a good time to like, not drink or um, not saying my, my brother's not an addict, but um, in general, like, is this the time when we should be reaching for comforts or things that we use to numb us? Or is this more of a time of just like, let's just get through this and then we can, you know, solve that on the other end? Yeah, that's a tough question. I would say now is certainly not the time to overindulge because when we drink, our prefrontal cortex goes even more offline. And so when we can get anxious and our prefrontal cortex is already not working, that's really not a good, not a good combination. So I'd really encourage folks to be, you know, if you're going to drink or imbibe or whatever, do that with moderation. Uh, this probably isn't the time to be like, you know what? I, I'm really freaked out right now, but now is the time to quit smoking. You know? <laughs> Um, because then you're going to get the withdrawal on top of that. Of course, you know, as a physician, the, the best thing I would ever say to any of my patients is the best thing you can do is quit smoking and make sure that you've got the right mental tools to do that. So this is where building up some mental resilience is going to be the, the prerequisite for somebody successfully quitting. Yet, at any time, we can actually, you know, explore cravings um, and start to work with it and even pay attention. You know, like with smoking, we can pay attention to what does smoking actually taste like as we start to heighten our mindfulness abilities. And those can always help support us and create those tools so that we're ready to quit when we're ready. Got it. Yeah, I was like, is this the time when people are working from home and can be irritable? And um, like, is this, is this someone I know and love might use a vape pen, for example. So I'm like, is this the time maybe that you don't do that? But it sounds like maybe it's better to do the prep work and then tackle that when things aren't so tense. Yeah, I would say it's an individual thing. People could be doing the prep work now. You know, if they're mm -hmm. feeling like they've got the, the mental resilience to be able to start doing that and they're kind of sequestered at home, it might be a good time to experiment, especially with smoking for, for alcohol. If somebody's drinking heavily, you know, detox is really important because that, that can be deadly if they try to self-detox. Mm -hmm. But things like, uh, things like smoking or vaping or whatever, you know, this could be a time for people to explore. It's a change, right? And we're in our old habit loops. This is a great time where we're like, okay, now my normal daily routine is interrupted. What if I play with smoking fewer cigarettes, you know, because I'm not in my car when I usually mm -hmm. smoke or whatever. So there are opportunities here as well. Yeah, no, it's it's certainly an interesting time. Um, so, all right, so back to the sort of calming the fear and panic loop, getting into our bodies, and then how can we, you know, I was, I posted on Instagram just that this is a good time if people don't have a therapist but have been wanting to get one, like don't let distance prevent you since you can, you know, most therapists will Zoom and it's just like a, they'll hold your hair while you're doing your anxiety energetic barfing. Um, but like how can we do that for each other without spreading fear and panic? Like how um, – do you have any tips like how to be a good friend – while also not letting your friends kill your vibe? Yeah, I think it's helpful for us to 
do a couple of things. The first one is, you know, it, it take that proverbial pulse. If we're getting on a phone with a friend who's struggling or we're about to, and we're a little freaked out, you know, taking the time to say, okay, and being responsible here and saying, look, you know, the best way I can help my friend is to take a little time for self-care and make sure that I'm at the place where I can be helpful instead of just jumping on the phone like a martyr and then mm -hmm. fueling the frenzy. So that's one place where it's really helpful to just step back and say, okay, what is needed right now? And the needed thing, you know, is not selfish to say, look, if I'm a little freaked out, I'm not going to be helpful. Let me calm down a little bit and then come, you know, come in when it's, when it's really helpful. So I think that's a, that's a good place uh, to start for folks. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. One thing that I do with a friend that I feel like I now want to adopt, he started it, is that he'll leave me on, a, on WhatsApp, he'll leave me a voice message, and then I can sort of listen to it at my leisure and then leave him a voice message back. And we trade voice messages with some frequency, and it's kind of nice because uh, – you can sort of work things out yourself while you're talking, but you're talking to someone. I don't know. I, I like it. And it also doesn't force someone to like get on the phone with you at the time when you feel like you need to express yourself. Um, yeah, that's great. I think that's a really nice way to, to really leverage, you know, that there's so much in a friend's tone of voice that can just listening to that can help us really just, just self-regulate in that way. So I, I think yeah. that's a great idea. Yeah, no, I would, I'm, I'm into it. I'm like, now I'm thinking about all the people who, who, particularly I think for people who have kids and are trapped at home with kids right now. And I mean, as you can imagine, it's from what I can tell from my friends, chaos. Um, and so also asking someone to get on the phone is hard when they're, you know, being simultaneously strangled by a two-year-old. Um, however... <laughs> Um, I worry, you know, about all the people who, who might be luxuriating in their alone time. Um, like my brother, he's really living life by himself. But um, I worry about that, like making sure that people don't feel like they're completely alone. Any tips there? Yeah, I think just checking in on folks, you know, here and there. And I, and I think your voicemail example is a great one where, you know, it seems that there's more of an, tell me if this is the case for you, but it, it, with text messages, they seem more of an imperative, like I have to answer that as compared to voicemails. Yeah. And so just calling somebody and leaving a voicemail saying, hey, just thinking about you. Um, no need to call back. Just thinking about you and letting you know that I'm, I'm here thinking about you. And there's that connection that happens at a distance that is just so mentally connecting, just, just hearing their voice and knowing somebody's thinking about us. It's, it's really simple. It's really easy. There's no scarcity of voicemail, you know, yeah. can't run out of it. And it can actually pay it forward in the sense that it feels good, right? It doesn't uh, drive us into this frenzy of freak out. It actually helps us calm down as we do it because it feels good to be kind. Exactly. And then you don't have to respond in the moment or be like, oh, don't worry, or you're being irrational. Like you can let the person express all of their feelings, hopefully calm themselves down as they then or get it out and then respond when you feel ready to resource them. Is there a difference like in, in our, our brains when we are in sort of panic as a group versus panic as an individual? Like I'm sure it's very contagious. Um, 
Is that the primary difference? Like if it's just us alone, we're not as, there aren't as many ideas coming at us about how we should feel? Yeah, so think about uh, scrolling through social media, for example, as kind of walking through, walking down the street and people are just uh, psychologically sneezing on you, (laughs) right? So it just increases our exposure and the likelihood that we're gonna catch that panic superbug. So on, it's really helpful to kind of moderate our social media exposure to say, okay, do I really need to go on social media right now? What am I looking for? And to step back and ask ourselves, what do I need as compared mm-hmm. to what do I want? You know, and our, our habit might be go on social media as a way to distract ourselves or whatever. But in this case, social media is not distracting us. <laughs> you know, we're, we're not seeing a bunch of cute pictures of puppies on Instagram. <laughs> you know? yeah. We're seeing empty grocery store shelves. So that's when we can say, what do I need? I need a hug. I need to pet my dog or cat or whatever. Um, or I just, you know, and maybe it can be a self, um, a kind of a, an act of kindness that helps us regulate where it's like, oh, why don't I just call a friend and just say, hey, I'm here for you? Because that act of kindness in itself can also help us as well. I hope that there is a, just a run on shelter dogs and cats during this crisis. I hope every animal finds a home. It's, I mean, what that would be, that would be some real upside. Um, yeah, no, I know I, animal, I just touch, you know, I think touch is, is obviously so important. We're so dependent on it. So for people who are um, self-isolating and who can't, um, who are, who live alone or maybe don't have animals, like, are there like physical self-soothing techniques? You know, uh, when I lead meditation retreats, um, sometimes we'll do yoga sessions. I'm not a, a yoga expert, but so I can, you know, I can basically, um, I can, <laughs> you know, I can, I can say, okay, let's do this. Cause they know that I'm not really a yoga expert. And so what I'll do is I'll say, okay, everybody stand up and spread your hands behind you as far back as you can go, put your shoulder blades together. Okay. Now cross your arms and give yourself a big, hug. Yeah, you know, it actually feels good to give ourselves a hug, you know? And so I call that hug pose. <laughs> so, <laughs> So anybody can do hug pose and it actually feels pretty good. <laughs> so, you know. you know, there are simple things that we can do like that. Give ourselves a hug, put our hand on our heart to remind ourselves that, you know, hey, you know, I'm here for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- that's type of uh, self-care can go a long way. Yeah. No, I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I know there are more resources on your site, drjud.com. You have an app that's specifically oriented towards anxiety. We'll save the smoking cessation for another brighter day. Um, and sorry, go ahead. I'm also just uh, in an effort to to see as hel- you know how helpful I can be. I'm actually going to put up two minute uh, informational videos on YouTube about anxiety okay. uh, every day for the next couple of weeks. And so I just um, we've we're putting our first one up today so people can look at my YouTube channel. I uh, just Dr. Judd 
uh, they can find it on YouTube. And the idea there is to, you know, for example, learn about how anxiety turns into panic and fear and then how we can use things like mindfulness to help. So that's another resource that we're trying to put out there to help people. Yeah. And obviously people can share this podcast. And then I know you just had a piece in the New York Times, a brain hack to break the coronavirus anxiety cycle. So share that as well, guys. Um, and thanks for tuning in to this special episode. We will be dropping these as we record them and get them edited and sort of putting them into the calendar with the other things that were already scheduled. So we're not overwhelming everyone with coronavirus, but, um, but it's kind of all that we can think about. So thank you. Thank you. And stay safe and give yourself lots of hugs. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye. That's it for today's episode. If you have a chance, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back for more. And in the meantime, you can check out goop.com slash the podcast.